1: March 5th, 2020, Nanaimo, British Columbia.
0: I am pleased to welcome Nanaimo, British Columbia, and Sir Oxman Stadium to play host to the 13th team in the West Coast League.
1: Nanaimo baseball, from the coal mines of Douglas in East Wellington, to number six in Jingle Pot, from Departure Bay to Nanaimo Harbor, Gabriola, Wellington, Cassidy, and Extension. This is their story. This is Cobal. Welcome to Inning Three of Cobal. In this inning, we'll be talking about Soroxman Club and Saracens Stadium. Our guests will be William Cliff, Mike Holick, and Ian Thorpe. I'm here today on the phone with Mr. Bill Clift. And we're going to discuss uh, Sir Roxman Stadium and the Sir Roxman Club. Um, so with that said, Mr. Cliff, can you please introduce yourself?
2: I, I live in Port Alberni, British Columbia, Canada. Born and raised in Nanaimo and business-wise, I was involved in uh, Nanaimo. And then I came up to Port Alberni and had a business.
1: Talk to us a little bit about how you got involved with the Sir Roxman Club.
2: There was a, a group of us uh, young fellows. We were all... Just pretty well turned 21, and uh, rather than, what we were doing was meeting at, you know, at a bar and sitting, drinking beer, uh, going to our girlfriend's place, and there seemed to be more in life than, than that to us, so one of the fellows came up with an idea, why don't we uh, form a uh, club that we can help uh, a, a nonprofit organization, that can uh, help the needy or see if we can raise some money and it'll give us a purpose is basically what it was so a fellow by the name of Bob who who's well known in British Columbia He was, uh, actually I think he was a sort of a deputy minister for the government after all his education and everything but anyways, he was, he, he was the one that came up with, with this idea so there was a group of I guess about six of us, and we got together and uh, we approached a couple of fellows from the Lions Club that we knew very well. One was a lawyer and the other fellow worked at the post office, but they had been the president of the Lions, the local Lions, and they knew all the ins and outs of, you know, uh, how a club operates, and the lawyer knew uh, what to do to get us uh, registered with the government. And so we went ahead with it and um, he got all the papers and we signed it and we got registered as a nonprofit organization and other fellows came along and we started having weekly
3: meetings and then it, um, that went on for quite a while and then as it progressed,
2: I believe, probably after about eight months, six, eight months, it was bi-weekly and then it was, uh, we would have... Uh, by a meeting in the middle of the month and a meeting at the end of the month and the end of the month would be a dinner meeting. And we ran by parliamentary rules and uh, Sid Clark was the lawyer. He got all the papers signed them and we were a non-profit organization and we started from there. And we did um, little things like we had uh, some
3: ticket sales. We did what we could to raise some money and we would um, find a, a group that needed it. One, one place,
2: it was a, a home for um, mentally handicapped, and they, they needed uh, money for a record player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so we got that. But that uh, things seemed to be, it was a bit shallow for what we wanted to do. And the, uh, the Nanaimo Baseball Association, um... They knew of us, and we were good friends with all of them. Uh, none of us were playing baseball; it was all uh, minors, And and uh, they wanted to build a field um, for the this, the. Uh, I, I guess it's. I don't know the actual age group. I think it starts at fourteen or something. That's under that. Before that, it's Babe Ruth. And they had they had the fields for the smaller kids, but they field they had for the bigger kids was not adequate. So they approached us and said, would you be interested in getting involved in it? And away we went. They said, well, um, we'd, we'd like, it got to be a, you know, we thought it's a field. That's what it's gonna be with a few bleachers. But it got so that um, they engineered a, a
3: stand and uh, a huge field. Well, so we had to obtain land, and the
2: Baseball Society did all of that. They obtained the land uh, from the uh, school board, the animal school board, and the uh, it was in behind the, the high school at that time, and um, away we went. Uh, plans were drawn. Um, we got an a allotment of money from government to help build this, which... Uh, was I, I can't remember the exact, but I know it was well over a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. The money that we we made, we started running um, large dances uh, on the. Uh, the Naima was famous for the bathtub weekends, and uh, we we started running dances where there would be a thousand to fifteen hundred people come, and uh, we had a liquor license and. We, and we made quite a bit of money off of that. Uh, we negotiated, we ran it in a, a great big old arena, uh, ice arena, um, and we made quite a bit of money, and the money that we made there that we, we put into the park. Um, and eventually we, it ended up, we got a stand that would seat. I, I would estimate about 300 people I'm not quite sure on that, but I believe it would be around 3 three to 500 people with some standing room and dugouts, and uh, center field was 400 feet, left field was, I believe, 312 or 300, or around that, 280 to 300. Right field, uh, I
3: think it was a little bit shorter, and the fence, um, I believe the fence was 8 feet high. That was... The, we didn't think anybody would be hitting it out, but they did, and uh, that's how it all started. And we um, also helped the uh, baseball um, people um, maintain it.
2: Uh, we, like you know, we um, the, the whole community got involved. BC Hydro brought power into us. The guys worked on a uh, weekend to put power poles up and bring power in. And they put enough power in there, I was told at the time, um, that the lights could be installed in there. Um, But we never did the lights, at least I I didn't have anything to do with it. I moved out of town eventually for business reasons. But um, I ran the park, like once it was up and running, we had to maintain it and we had to get uh, people to work in inside the park on a daily
3: basis to clean the stands to cut the field to water the field um, do little repairs and
2: uh, we were able to get uh, money from the, the government for youth employment um, in the summertime which worked out just perfect and we would fill out I get the forms from um, By this time, this Bobby Plekis, who was our first president,
3: was involved in the government in Victoria, and he was involved in the youth labor
2: aspect of it. I'm not sure what division it is, but... So I could get a hold of Bobby, and he would send the papers to me. We would get them, I think, um, a fellow by the name of Bert Lansdale, who was the uh, secretary-treasurer of minor baseball... He would fill all the papers out and get everything, and we'd send it off to Bob uh, with a little explanation on it, and it would get through, and then we'd get an allotment of money from them to hire the young fellows to look after the park. And I did that for, I guess, three years, four years, and then I I just had to move on. I, I had, you know, I had commitments to working in the business I was involved in, and I just that was pretty well it, uh, and then I I eventually I I uh, moved out of town. Um, but then uh, the uh, minor baseball had their park and uh, their stadium, and it was uh, it was an enclosed stadium, uh, like it had a, a roof on it. Uh, no reporting. Uh, uh, beams or anything in within the stadium it was a self supporting roof and wire mesh all all the way around from dugout to dugout and um that was that's where it was when i when i uh saw being involved with it and i i uh eventually just moved on from the the club the club's still going i understand um I don't know who's in it. I don't know if any of the fellows that started it are still um, involved. There's a few of them have passed on. Um,
1: but that's that's pretty well the the history of it. Yes, sir. And then um, could you talk about the location of the stadium itself, Sir Roxton Stadium? Can you talk about um, – you had said it was built on a slag pile. Can you just talk about – what it went into, picking the, the location of the stadium, what it was built on, and what uh, went into it?
2: Yeah, I don't know why. I can't tell you why it was, uh, that place was picked, but it, it, um, Nanaimo was a, it was a coal mining town, and there were mines all over the place. And, of course, with mine comes what you uh, call flag. It's It's not good enough coal to be used or to be sold, so they, they mined all this stuff, and I don't know how they screened it or whatever, and the, this, what they call slag would just be put on a slag pile, and that happened to be right um, right next to where the mine was, and it was a great big pile, um, just like a pile of dirt, only huge. So it, it was there, and uh, there was a vocational school located... Uh, right next to the to the high school. It was all an educational area. And they had a uh, heavy equipment uh, course that they trained, the young fellows to drive bulldozers and cats and uh, graders. Um, I don't know if it was truck driving. I don't think it was. Whatever, the heavy machinery. And uh, they decided that that slack pile was so close that it would be a good place to... Um, to level it and they could use all this equipment so they leveled it and it was school board property so they leveled it all and uh, once that was done then it would just it was there and so I I don't know I guess the minor baseball I I, we had nothing to do with it but minor baseball went to the school district and said we'd like to build a stadium and uh, we would like to you know get that parcel of land up there which is dormant they had enough field playing fields for their soccer and everything um uh they didn't need it and i don't think they could see any advantage to building on top of the slag pile um which was all leveled out but it it was pretty dirty like you know it's black coal um so anyways um they got permission to uh uh, uh, to build there, and from there was it was, uh, it was uh, that was the school or the um, minor baseball was doing that, uh, and that I think once that was done, that's when we got approached. Like they had the agreement with the the school district, that's when we were approached. Uh, would you be interested in getting involved in this and putting your name on it? So that that's where it was at that time I can't even remember what the year it was in the mid 70s I, I think 70
3: five maybe 76 mm-hmm. so we got it, it it got
2: built and I had nothing to do with that it was a company by the name of Robinson construction that built the place I guess I, I guess they uh, they designed the, the, the layout of the, the, the park itself was done by a fellow by the name of Bobby Baldwin. He was a, a surveyor by trade and a very, very smart man. He, and he laid everything out where the stadium should go. He's, he's quite a baseball fan. so He knew how big the stadium or the park had to be, and he laid where the stadium was, and I believe the Robinson Construction designed the stadium. And uh, they built it, and we got all kinds of help. Like I say, with BC Hydro, uh, BC Tel came up, and we wanted to put the fence in. We we could use their post hole diggers because we had big uh, twelve by twelve cats put in, and um, uh, a company by the name of Crown Zellerback, they had a plywood mill in Vancouver and another fellow by the name of Bruno Calora and myself, we went to, uh, I, I believe it was in Newest, and uh, we got uh, all the plywood, the fence. Um, uh, Crown Zellerbach gave us uh, the posts, um, and they were all cut into everything. I mean, they were, it was just amazing. Like, that, that was just donated, I
3: believe, and um, we had work parties going up there and building fences, building this, building, you know. We did all the, like, the fencing work. Just the stadium was contracted
2: out. The rest was all volunteered, with minor baseball and uh, rocksman.
1: Yeah, you had a wonderful story about going and getting the plywood at the plywood mill. Can you tell us about that story?
2: Oh, yeah, we got it. We got over there, we, you know, plywood's plywood. We rented a truck uh, from, um, uh, I don't, whatever it was, budget rental. We rented a truck and uh, we went, uh, Bruno and myself, you know, we would take a day, we'd go to Vancouver where are to do a spinster. And uh, we, we had quite, quite a good connection with uh, Crowns Uh We had their executives, uh, their kids play ball and they were stationed in Ladysmith, but they they were were uh, in, they were lived in Nanaimo, and uh, so the one fellow I I can't remember his name, but he arranged for all this plywood. Um, it wasn't I I don't believe it was donated, but it was not very expensive. I never did see the bill, but uh, so we went over with this truck, which we thought was quite adequate, um, and. Uh, or, could start putting this stuff on it. Man, that truck slumped down. It was a flatbed, but it, it was heavy. And when we came back the, in uh, British Columbia, you have to go through the weigh scales. And we uh, got to a weigh scale uh, before we went across the uh, Ironman's Bridge, Second Narrows Bridge. And we got on the scales, and the, and the guy said, Holy Jesus, you're way overweight. So Bruno was quite a talker. He was an Italian fella, quite a hustler, and he got out and he was explaining to him what it was for and how we were taking this back and building a park. and And the guy just turned, walked away, and said, "If you're gone when I turn, when I turn around, you better be gone." So he let us go, and we got back to the and uh, we stored the the uh, plywood at a, uh, a building of was allotted to us I don't know who owned it already but it was, that's another part of the, the community coming together to help us and then um, during the construction of it we had, we had like you can't you can't grow grass on coal on old slag so we had to get soil and uh, we had trucks that worked on weekends at, at no charge bringing soil in and, and dumping it, and we had to get all that in before we could put the fence up. So we got all the, the trucks that come in and they dump soil, and um, we had, I uh, had to level it all. And, and that, then it would come down to uh, getting topsoil. and But before all that, would, uh, the, uh, the sprinkler system had to be put in on, underground. And that was a, a real uh,
3: dirty, dirty job because you're taking in this black flag. And, but uh, we got that, all the sprinkler system put in. And then the topsoil run uh, and then seeded it. Um,
2: I believe we got the, I'm not sure, but I believe we got the fence up before we got the seed on. Like a lot of this happened when I wasn't there. I had to work every day. Um, so with guys, like there were people, it, it was, um, a lot of guys have worked at a, a place called Harmac. It was a pulp mill and, um, there was shift work and it was, so guys were working, they put a party together and go up and rate and do dig post holes and, you know, it, it was a real big effort. And the truckers, they were just amazing. They just brought their truck loads and got uh, dirt and everything. Um, we wanted to have a warning track uh, on the outfield, and we wanted uh, uh, red ash for it. And red ash is a burnt coal. It's um, coal that it burns, and and it turns somehow it turns red. Um, so we got that, and we got we got tons of that hauled in and put all around the uh, warning track. So you'd run to the green grass and then there was the red ash and then the fence. It was kind of kind of neat. I had a fellow from uh, um, Vancouver over, and he wondered where we got that, that red stuff from. And we got it actually from one of the uh, uh, native uh, reserves, an old mine that was there, and it had caught on fire. The slag pile had caught on fire and it burned, and uh, it just left a whole bunch of this red ash. So the truckers hauled it. They, we asked them if we could have it, and they said, yeah, sure, go ahead. So the uh, truckers hauled it from uh, from the uh, reserve out there and distributed it all, all around the, the outside, and then brought a bunch. We had we had quite a pile of it left over um, to repair the warning the track and because it washes down the and But it was uh, quite an adventure. When we got the, the, uh, we got the place up ready to be played in, we wanted to have a grand opening. We decided, you know, we wanted the mayor and uh, the, the uh, president of our club and the president of minor baseball and as many fans as we could get. Um, and somebody came up with having a, uh, an idea of having a sportsman's dinner. So we had a fellow that worked at a radio station, did the morning show at uh, a fellow by the name of Dwayne Boddicker, and um, he well, it was reading in a magazine, um, and he uh, he, he uh, saw this name, Jimmy Pearsall, uh, will come and speak at whatever function you've got. And Jimmy Pearsall was a, a baseball player. I didn't know him, I never heard of him before. But I understand Dwayne used the number and he phoned him and he got a hold of Pearsall. Uh, and apparently Pearsall played uh, baseball. I don't know where he played, but he he, he doesn't, he, he's kind of a looney tune, he kind of uh, went nuts. He couldn't even remember playing one year. He told us, and that's what I heard. Anyways, when Dwayne phoned us, he said, sure, where the hell is this place? So he explained to him, it was Canada, Vancouver Island, Nanaimo. And uh, said, so I guess they were talking on the phone. And he said, uh, he, he, I guess he just said, J- just a minute, I got a call on another line here. So he, he talked, uh, he got on the other line and... Um, he was talking away, and then he got back to Dwayne, and he said, how would you uh, how would you like to have uh, Mickey Mantle come up? And uh, Dwayne said, geez, that'd be great. So he goes back and hey, Mick, how'd you like to go up to Canada? Yeah, okay. So we ended up with Jimmy Pearsall, um, Mickey Mantle. Uh, they were the two main ones. And then we had uh, other speakers. We had George Reed, who was a running back for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders uh, we had uh, Cliff i got to say this right now Odinson, Chris Odinson. I believe he was the captain of the of the Vancouver Canucks um I'm not quite sure I I can't remember the other ones right now um, they'll come to me we had a defenseman from the Boston Bruins who lived in trail um we had a NFL referee that uh, lived in in the Naimo had a restaurant retired. Uh, he was 20 years as a re- National League re- uh, Lloyd, I can't remember his name. Anyways, they came. Uh, we had to we had to pay Pearsall and Mantle, but I believe that uh, uh, Reed. George Reed worked for Molson's, and somehow we had a connection with Molson's, Molson's beer. I don't, I don't know how it worked, but they got George Reed to come Molson's. Uh, I believe I, I may be wrong on this, but I don't remember any money going to them. I know we had to uh, pay uh Pearsall and Mantle, which was not very much. They, we got their flight in and. They got some cash and they went fishing with the mayor of Nanaimo. And um, I, oh Johnny, John uh, Busick, I think was the uh, the hockey player from the Boston Bruins. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: and I can't remember. I, I don't want to leave anyone out, but I can't remember the rest. Yeah. But we had uh, dinner, and I guess we had probably. We had people from all over
2: Vancouver Island. Once once they found out that Mantle and Pearsall were there, we had people from all all Vancouver Island. I guess it was probably 400 people at the dinner. I can't remember what we charged. But we made uh, money at that, and uh, that, of course, uh, went into the fund. And uh, that's uh, that's pretty well uh, the history of it. Uh, Manel and, and Pearsall came up, to the park and the other guys. I uh, can't remember. I I believe they were they were up there too. But saw well, mantle put on a, a pitching and hitting, and mantle to be uh, to be real honest with you, was drunk as a skunk. But um, he he put about uh, he I guess he hit about fifteen balls, and at least ten of them went off the fence. Pearsall was pitching to him he's just tossing them in there and mandel was just smashing them and they, he just put him on off the fence easy as hell it was it was quite a, a show so I, I guess some people got pictures of it i i didn't um i I just didn't i don't know why but i, I just didn't wasn't a picture guy mm-hmm. but that, that's pretty well it. Uh, that was the opening of it and from there it went on and the, the kids played um, in the early part of the spring, and then, then once, and they were finished in, I believe it's sometime in June, when the schools finished, um, and then the uh, seniors took over. The, the junior uh, kids, the minor baseball, had control of that stadium, and it was built for minor ball, but the of course. The kids get older; they want to play the senior ball in there too, and then the college, which is right up by there, uh, they they I don't know; if they still have a team, I guess they do. Um, they they played; uh, they used it uh, during the day, uh, and of course, there was agreement if they ever had baseball in the high school, that they would use it. But I don't believe the high school did, but I know they. The college used it, um, and I'm I'm not quite sure, but uh, I think the college started to maintain the place. I you'd have to check with them on that. I don't I don't know, but I know that minor ball had had first dips on who was playing in there, and then the senior ball came along. Like they they came, and then we ran tournaments. I, I I'm an other fellow by the name of Gordy Robinson. We ran uh, BC uh, senior ball uh, playoffs for British Columbia. It was like C ball or B ball or something. It wasn't uh, anything like double A or triple A. It was just it was just guys that played ball. They got on, had uniforms and played ball, and there was a league on Vancouver Island. And um, teams would come in and they'd play, and then we we'd have. Um, uh, finals, BC playdowns, and, um, and we we put those on. And then there was uh, little kids, uh, the minor minor uh, baseball had their had some playdowns. There are a lot of to different cities, but the uh, the park uh, we had we had um, one team come in from uh, Nevada. Um, they were t- they were touring uh, the Northwest, and they came in, and um, I heard that they, they said it was the nicest park that they played in. It was better than the park that they had it that they had at home. And those kids were really good; they were quite the quite the ball players. So they they said their their park didn't even compare to the one we had. And, yeah. uh, and of course, Canada was not known
1: for uh, you know a, a baseball uh, I mean it was I don't even think the Blue Jays were playing and I, I don't know if they were they just started but anyways that's sort of the history of... yeah one last one last question for you sir before we we wrap it up for today um, sure. can you you had mentioned a story about um, where you get the water for the park and it being in an old well, air shaft of the mine can you just tell
2: that story uh, yeah, uh, the, uh, we actually tapped in a, at one point to get water there when we first started. Um, we we uh, ran a line. I don't know if the school board knew about it or not, but we had connections with the uh, Nanaimo Water Works, uh, city water. And there was a fire hydrant that was about uh, 75, 85 yards away on school board property. And uh, we just went ahead. I knew a fellow by the name of Lyle Scott, who uh, were, were, was sort of the managed, uh, well, bus, uh, a fellow by the name of Bus McDonald was the head of the water district. And um, Lyle Scott was just under him. And Lyle says, I'll get you water. There's a fire hydrant over there. So we got a, we dug a strand, trench I don't know who did it but they dug a trench I got up there in the middle of the day and here's this trench being dug and a water line tapped into the um into the fire hydrant so we'd have water over there um and then they they decided uh now I don't know if this when they decided whether this was going to happen you know right away or when we first built the park but they knew that these air shafts were there. Um, and that when a mine, when you shut a mine down, um, it usually fills with water uh, because there's a lot of water here. And uh, there's uh, quite a large lake, oh miles back in the, and of course that water comes down. So the water level is fairly high. So we uh, needed water Besides that like that fire hydrant. I guess that was what they built uh first. We got got the water off the fire hydrant and then they decided, well we should get some water, you know, we can't be cheating like this all the time. So they got a hold of some of the old miners and said, where, are where's these shafts? And they of course they all had different ideas, but eventually we got a drilling rig and uh, they went up. The drilling rig went up, and, and uh, they drilled and drilled until they found the, the, one of the shafts. And it was um, quite close to the, to the field, um, just outside the fence. And they, so they uh, drilled down and uh, put pipes down and sunk it in. And uh, so they they can water. There's no watering restrictions there. They put a build a pump house and a pump, and they can water 24 hours a day. It'll never dry up. And there's no restrictions on it because they're not uh, using any city water. They're, they're using underground water, like a, a well water. So, But that was, that was kind of neat. Uh, I, I really I wondered about tapping into that, that fire hydrant, but uh, we had to have water over there. So that's I think that's how they got it.
1: That's some amazing and wonderful information, Mr. Cliff. Thank you so much for joining us in this inning of Cole Ball. Up next, we have Travis sitting down with Mr. Mike
4: Holick. Take it away, Travis. This is Travis Conway. I'm with Mike Holick. Mike, how are you?
0: I'm doing very well, Travis. Thanks.
4: Good. Hey, Mike, uh, before we get started, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do.
0: So, um, yeah, I mean, as you know, my name is Mike Holick and I'm the president of the NIMO minor baseball I'm a longtime resident, and I moved here in 92 after university and, and make it my home now. Um, you know, I've got a wife and and two grown children, uh, grown, meaning uh, one's 23 and one's 19. Uh, the 19-year-old's going to college in Montana, playing baseball, so living out his baseball dream. And so I've played the game as a young man uh, and then transitioned to coaching and uh over the last 15 years and now administrating um uh, being part of the board here and and you know really out of a sense of wanting to give back i guess at some point in my life i recognized that the game doesn't work without volunteers so i threw my hat in the ring first at the coaching level and now kind of at the administrative level and to, it's you know it's my passion to, to give the kids an opportunity to enjoy the game that i enjoyed so much so
4: and. Um- so, uh, as a president of the NNBA, Nanaimo Minor Baseball Association, uh, you, and that's just been in the last five years, is that correct?
0: Yeah, I. I, I mean, I might be fuzzy on this. I think it's been five five year tenure. I was vice president for a couple of years and on the board for a year or two before that. So,
4: tell me more about what you do. About you know uh, how many kids there are. Just give us a little snapshot of of what that looks like on a daily basis. Or yeah, a, not, so, maybe not a daily basis, but seasonally.
0: You'd be surprised how daily it is, but that's because I love doing it. So, and, and I'm fortunate my, you know, my, my real job allows me to put some time into the game. Um, so, I mean, the nine minor baseball, uh, is, I think it's their 67th season this year. So it's one of the oldest sports organizations in the community. Hmm. Um, and, and it, you know, it's gone through various, uh, forms over the years. Um, But, you know, every year, roughly 550 young boys and girls uh, sign up and we program for ages 5 through 18, um, both at the recreational level, Uh, kids who come out just to play the game for fun uh, or just learning the game. And then we have some competitive programs that uh, are there for kids looking for um, a little more competition and or who want to play the game at the high school or post-secondary or, I guess, ultimately professional level. So um, you know, and the best part of our job is we got a very strong board and community that supports the a Minor Baseball. We have some fantastic facilities. The city is super supportive of, of what we're trying to do, and um, you know, each year it's our volunteers, our coaches, and uh, managers, and, and folks who work in the concessions that ultimately make it really easy to to be the president. Um, you know, I deal, again, primarily with the bigger picture things uh, with kind of our sports governing bodies, kind of federally and provincially, but uh, a little bit with the city in terms of ensuring we have the best, best facilities we can, um, sponsorship, that kind of stuff. So, um, but we've got a board of, of just over 15 people who are actively kind of doing the other stuff at, at the various age groups or uh, deal with equipment fields um, so it makes makes the job uh real easy
4: and also you've been so you've been coaching for for the last 15 years i mean how does that uh coincide with what you do there is it or is that just more of a, a getaway from it all
0: yeah you know i i mean it was two years ago i stepped in after i mean i stopped coaching my son uh when it became a parent, I didn't have as much to offer him from the technical side uh, as, as, as I, as he needed. And and secondly, I think, you know, I mean, sometimes it can be difficult when your parents are involved in the game. Um, You know, I'm a competitive guy and, and, and uh, so he became a parent that, you know, I should step aside and maybe contribute to the game in a different fashion. But I think, you know, the coaching part, um, you know, gives me a good perspective kind of when I'm, Thinking about the other aspects of the uh, the organization, um, as I say, a couple of years ago I went back to coach a, a 11U uh, team in our league. 11U is when it really starts to look like real baseball for our kids um, up here, and and so and generally it's uh, it's our Keystone division. We typically have anywhere from 10 to 11 teams, and some of the most uh, competitive issues seem to arise from that league. So I thought I'd get get out in front of that by being a coach but I quickly realized is you know I guess my time had passed um, uh, maybe the kids changed but more likely I had changed and and so it was a good window in, in, in for me having gone through you know right from age five through 18 uh, year old with my children I also coached my daughter her last year of competitive fast pitch it might have been one of the more fun uh, fun opportunities I had and actually in if, with some reflection maybe I was Uh, better built to coach uh, female athletes than male athletes. Um, I love how hard they work. I love how passionate they are about the game, how well they take direction. Boys uh, generally uh, appeared to be more work, uh, more personalities to deal with. But um, So yeah, just coaching. I think it's a natural evolution to go from coaching to the administrative side. And I never see myself getting completely out of the game, but I also recognize that my time with the 9 minor baseball at that this level might come to an end but I always joke with people that in retirement maybe what I'll do is just buy a really good lawn tractor and just cut grass because uh, I seem to enjoy doing that more at the field than I do at home
4: well I mean that's not a bad gig um but yeah you know I hear more and more dads talk about um coaching their daughters and how it just it just grounds them and it shows them how hard the girls play and you know girls are playing baseball too so um you know that may that may even come to pass soon um you told me one time about uh, I think you mentioned it was kind of like a bar so where Siroxman Stadium is you had mentioned that it's it's just an impressive facility can you talk a little bit about how impressive that facility is and, and is that where where the fast pitch uh if not a stadium field would be as well
0: no, yeah so I mean it's 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 kind of we call it. Um, You know, it's our sports, it's it's our sports zone um, here in Nanaimo. So our primary youth fields uh, are Soroxman Fields, which are not, you know, they're they're different than Soroxman Stadium. Um, You know, we're 500 yards down the road where we, where we, uh, where Soroxman Stadium sits and Soroxman Stadium sits beside the the city's track and field facility, as well as a brand new turf, uh, football, soccer and lacrosse field. And that's all across. Uh, the street from a um, you know a great recreation center swimming pool as well as a twin ice sheet so literally within um, if you can't throw one baseball to a mall you could probably do it in two throws you have uh, a fantastic collection of um, sports uh, sports fields and assets and so and Siracmon Stadium was the first going back forty five plus years when it was first built by the community so it's really the centerpiece. Um, of that facility, and the city now owns all of those facilities. So there's a certain uh, synergy and and um, I guess uh, glue now that that glues it all together. As I mentioned in a previous, I mean, Saracens yeah. Stadium was built <clears throat> in a partnership between uh, the community and uh, the local school district. The land on which Saracens sits, and actually the track and field facility as well, was was part of the school district land. And it was three years ago that the city of Nanaimo and, and uh, the school district uh, agreed to uh, get together and the school district sold that land to the city. And that was so key in terms of, you know, uh,
4: keeping so Sirocco. Did, did, did the school board actually, did they did they purposely go after that ground? I and mean, why, why did that happen?
0: Well, I think it was just a function of history. I mean, it, you know, again, all of it sits on old coal mining kind of land um uh, so you know at the end of the day i don't know i understand kind of all of the evolution but it was a piece of land that i guess you know the, the school district felt was 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 not needed and that it would uh that it would suit the community well by having both a track and field and a uh, a baseball um stadium on it so um, you know now as the city has grown to just under 100,000 people um, you know it, it became a you know land became a bigger deal I mean the school district wasn't in a position to invest a lot of money or 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 such where the city is in a better position to maybe support sports infrastructure and, mm-hmm. and it took longer than probably it should but ultimately the city and the school district came together to to, to transfer those, 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 those areas to the, the city. And now, um, you know, we can, we can look forward to more development, uh, of, of, of the baseball stadium. I'm actually later this afternoon sitting in on a conference call where we're going to talk about the phased redevelopment of the stadium and its, you know, various needs, both for the community and for, for the West coast league team that, uh, will be playing there in, in uh, in 2021 so again none of that would have happened uh without that acquisition by the city and um and uh we're pretty excited about it and the support that 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 they've shown uh, for the facility so
4: so what is the feeling right now i mean going in i think um i i would i would assume just from your conversations everybody getting ready and getting excited and and upgrades to Soroxman Stadium. Can you speak a little bit about uh, maybe a, a couple different opinions that you've heard, or um, and and a little bit of the improvements to Soroxman Stadium and and how that's going to affect possibly even um, the NBA?
0: Well, you know, I think it was last Friday um, um, when uh, I drove by. I mean, the lights are the lights are up. The light standards are up at the stadium. And, um so know, that's new
4: lights, correct? Never had lights before? New, that- new
0: lights, LED, um, you know, for a you know, for a high quality amateur um, you know, minor professional stadium, they're they're good lights and, and, and um so those should be operational within the next um few weeks. I mean trenching's going on, etc. to to make to get the power fed to the lights. Uh, the base for a new stadium scoreboard is being poured and 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 um so you know, and <clears throat> as excited as we are about it, it you know it, it's taken so long to get to this point um, that there's a certain amount of disbelief, I think amongst anybody who's been involved with the stadium uh, over the years, it's you know we're finally here. Um, and uh, you know, in terms of the buzz about the new um, you know, the new team coming into town. I mean, I think, again, it's, it's, you know, there's a little we'll believe it when we see it, because again, I think the baseball community, well, it's had uh, a lot of support, you know, at times we just felt like we weren't ever going to see uh, some of these developments play out. And so obviously, um, you know, the, the, the coronavirus and, and, you know, some of the slowdown in society is affecting people's enthusiasm, but I'll just give you one quick story. I was at the local Salvation Army, um, dropping off some supplies um, the other day, and, and the lady who who runs that program there, um, you know, I'm part of the local Rotary Club with her, and, and we got to talking, and, and you know, about different things, and somehow the topic of baseball came up, and and um, and she expressed a great deal of enthusiasm for. You know, the park, what was going on at the park in terms of, you know, lights and some of the new developments and the fact that we're going to have a summer collegiate baseball being played there next year. And it, it kind of struck me as, um, you know, Dawn wasn't what I would consider the obvious baseball fan. But little did I know she has a great passion for the game. And, and here's a lady out working harder than ever to help the community. And um, <clears throat> it reminded me of why we've worked so hard to improve the stadium. You know, I mean, people like myself who 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 have baseball as a big part of their lives, um, you know, it seems obvious to, but there's lots of people in the community that will benefit, if, if only to go and watch good baseball. But again, I see it as an area where the community can come and sit beside each other from different parts of the community, get to know each other. Um, kind of like the scene from uh, the, the baseball movie, and, and the name escapes me at the moment. Uh, uh, I think it was a romantic comedy about the White Sox, or Red Sox, pardon me, and, and their championship year. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I think it's where the community comes together. People from different parts of the city who may not know each other or have never known each other come and sit beside each other to enjoy a common interest. Uh, and in this case, it happens to be a baseball game, and I think that brings the community closer together. So sometimes when uh, I'm challenged by politicians about the cost of sports infrastructure or baseball fields, to remind them it's really an investment in youth, and it's also in this case an investment in, I think, uh, some community spirit. So that's probably what's the most exciting. But I, again, I think um, it won't really coalesce co- 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 mm-hmm. really co- until we get closer, like close closer next close to next season and we ahead. see, we so see the team on the field, we see the lights oh on. So,
4: oh, for sure. Um, I think that movie was Fever Pitch. Jimmy Fallon, right. Drew Barrymore. That, yeah, that's that's. I think that's an underrated movie. Actually, it's it's pretty funny. Well,
0: well, the banter, the banter amongst the fans. Oh man,
4: it's true. I Red Sox and uh, Yankees games. You see things you would never see uh, in a normal rivalry. It's it's insane.
3: Well, and I
0: think you know just even beyond the sports component. I mean, the fact that uh, it's kind of like you know pulling you know another you know Boston Boston. Uh, References cheers right i mean it's you know norm walks in the and everybody says hi right and yeah and, and i think it's the same in a baseball park and i think you'll see it with season ticket holders i'm certain it happens in the west coast league
4: parks oh, i think well, I th- yeah I, I totally agree i think seeing that at any ballpark where you see people that they all they go to the same or they have you know tickets to the same seats and they start to create a friendship and it's oh man it's it's a great thing to see
0: so you know again in in a world that there seems to be lots of reasons why we don't agree on stuff it's, it's kind of cool to see sports or a facility as the glue for the community so right
4: just out of curiosity you said you were waiting Do, were you guys waiting for something like this to happen were you or or what what uh, what what's the story behind that
0: I guess maybe I'm so close to it nah, I can you know at times I think I'm a patient person but I mean this has taken you know, certainly momentum picked up over the last three or four years for this project.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Talking about it has gone on for 25 years.
3: Oh, I, I didn't know minor,
0: that. I think the Minor Baseball actually has, like in, ter- in terms of the infrastructure adding lights to the stadium, we have a small account at the local credit union that has, I think, $1,200 sitting in it that's been there forever as long as I remember. And it was hmm. a small kind of allocation towards field lights. Well, I think we all know that $1,200 doesn't go very far when it comes to putting up uh, three quarters of a million dollars uh, worth of field lights. Um, <laughs> but it, it does speak to, it was a dream, a long time dream of our association, local baseball fans or administrators and players. And so to see those, those, but again, it's something that I've been involved with for the last four or five years and talks with the city. And there's many other people that have come before me. I'm just the latest to, to step in and, and help push this project forward. So I'm going to be pretty excited to see some of those um, individuals who, who really started this, you know, a few decades ago, see it, you know, come to fruition uh, hopefully this summer in some level. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's going to be neat to see those lights turned on and baseball being played uh, under the stars. So.
4: That's very cool. Um, not to bury the lead. I, I want to just mention your son is, is uh, an infielder. Yeah for miles community college is that correct
0: well yeah actually uh, my son's going to miles uh community college down in in miles city montana um i actually came to nanaimo after university uh went to uh, a division two school to play hockey uh, in erie pennsylvania university college at the time so i moved to nanaimo because it was a free place to stay um after university and you know. Uh, Raised my wife here, and and uh, we've raised our two children. So it's I've, I've lived in Nanaimo longer than I've lived anywhere else in the world. So uh, it's home now.
4: Right, and your son did grow up in Nanaimo.
0: Yeah, he grew. Yeah, he grew up in Nanaimo, played in, in Nanaimo minor baseball. He played his high school uh, baseball in, in in Parksville, and then uh, which is just a little north of us. And then yeah, he just finished his I guess truncated freshman year at Miles City Community College as a third baseman, and uh, He's uh, training hard, you know, for the opportunity to maybe get back in the fall, Yeah get back to normal life. So,
4: did you say he had some connection to the Harbor Cats?
0: He actually, um, he had the opportunity to, to to suit up for a couple games last year uh, wow. for the Harbor Cats, um, and uh, yeah, he got into a game. He's actually, he's primarily an infielder, but he throws a bit, and they were short on arms going into the playoffs. Um, so he threw a couple innings and uh the two innings is a clean sheet and uh he played i think there was about twenty five hundred fans so he was quite a, quite nervous and excited and and uh i think it 's his hope uh you know if if he continues to improve that maybe one day he 'll uh play for the new nanaimo franchise in front of his friends and family so
3: oh, how
4: cool would that be
0: yeah I mean, we 're fortunate right now actually <laughs> in the timing of i think Nanaimo coming into the west coast league uh, we 've got some um, some college talent. Um, a number of actually played for the Harbor cats over the years, but we've probably got three or four players, uh, playing at the junior college, NAIA, or, or division one level that, uh, would provide, I think, some, some good local representation on a squad. So we'll see how that plays out in the next year or two, but, uh, I know Nanaimo, um, likes to cheer its own. Um, you know it's a small town it's a tight knit community even though there are a hundred thousand people it feels like it's a ten thousand people that live in the community i think uh, in the in the sports world is is quite tight so oh um, sure yeah. yeah
4: growing up in Portland trust me i can I can relate <laughs> so tell me I want to ask two two key questions i i not knowing Nanaimo as well as I should, I would love you to kind of just give me your you know elevator speech on what Nanaimo is all about and then give me a little bit of a history just your history but also any of the history that you find is top of mind about baseball in Nanaimo
0: yeah for sure I mean I mean yeah it's it's funny I mean I think Nanaimo would be the fourth or fifth biggest community uh, in in British Columbia it's one of the prettiest little cities that that I've been in, um, and uh, obviously I have a bias because I live here. But uh, you know, you got mountains and trees on the one side, and you got water on the other. So you got a view wherever you look here. Um, you know, it's a blue-collar town. Uh, you know, forestry and fishing and mining um, were a big part of the development of Vancouver Island. So um, you know, I'd say Victoria, because of uh, you know the large uh, percentage of people who work for the provincial government etc., there is probably a lot more white collar than Nanaimo um you know I would say Nanaimo is Victoria's kind of country cousin in some respects right uh, mm. probably more flannel than, uh, than button down so um and and sports has a rich history here too right I mean it's uh I've seen some of the pictures, actually. I think one of your colleagues has posted on the on the internet about some of the old baseball teams. And I know uh, soccer, rugby, all those things were played uh, on some of the same fields that uh, our kids still play on today. Um, Robbins Park, which is uh, where our 15-U baseball is played, um, I think was being used at the turn of uh, the past in the last century for, for different sporting activities. Um, And so, um, and interestingly enough, where the stadium sits, uh, today, um, it's actually used to be an old coal slag, uh, pit or pile, I guess it was, I have some old, uh, old timers from now I've talked to that remember, uh, you know, throwing hunks of coal at each other when they were young kids. Um, and, um where our primary youth park is at third street just down the field or just on the road from Soar Oxman. It was actually part of an old military camp during the first world war. So that's where they kept the horses for the cavalry and all that. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's the history of Nanaimo and the history of sports and baseball are kind of intertwined. And if you run into a longtime time Nanaimo resident who's, you know, in their seventies, eighties or nineties, they can tell you a lot of great stories about, uh, uh, you know about the the different parks and, and what they were on. So um, yeah, I mean it's a great place to 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 to, to raise children. Uh, the athletic community. We have a junior hockey team here. We have a successful junior football franchise here. Um, you know, and we're just across the across the street from professional sports in Vancouver, or down the road in Victoria. There's kind of that next level. Uh, you know, so. I think that I'm most excited to to be part of the West Coast League because I think it kind of plugs us into uh, a league that has uh, a real high profile. I mean, Victoria obviously is is the natural uh, fit, but I mean, if you think of some of the franchises like Bellingham and and some of the others that are south of the border, um, those are long-time baseball hotbeds. So plugging into that I think will be pretty special.
4: Yeah, I would imagine you're going to see a lot of new faces coming to check out uh, what it's all about. So I, I think that's pretty exciting. Um, thank you for that. i I'm really interested also about, you know, uh, the stadium itself. Um, going back to the origins of Saroxman, can you just explain to anybody who doesn't know anything about the stadium or about the, the Saroxman themselves what it's all about?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, and you know, this is really kind of the oral history, <laughs> as I can recall, being told by different people. Sure. At one point, at one point, I was a Saroxlun Club member for a few years as a young man. And So, I mean, the Saroxlun Club was formed uh, several decades back um, by just a group of of of, of Nanaimo. Uh, men looking to provide some uh, fundraising and service to the community and I you know I think it was really designed to be a little less formal than some of the traditional uh, service groups that you see out there you know whether it be I don't know uh, you know the Shriners or, or Rotary or some of those other types of uh, the kinsmen etc.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Sir so Oxman if you break down the name and again um, <laughs> this was told to me so I don't know if it's written and uh, written down anywhere, but Sirroxman stands for Service Auxiliary Men. If you break down the name, it's an unusual name, but it makes sense when you when you break it into its three parts. And really, yeah. over the years, a group of, a group of uh, Sirroxman members have got together on a weekly basis. Uh, they raise funds doing various things in the community, and and, and they and they uh, hand those funds out to the community on an on an as ad- needed basis uh, for all kinds of things. Could be to help uh, somebody with some you know issues around disability and mobility wheelchairs those kinds of things they've provided some some grants to young athletes and and, and uh and in some fashion uh, they built uh they were instrumental in getting the stadium built uh, you know 40 plus years ago um, right I think it was 1975 that uh, really the work started on the stadium and was completed in 1976 when the grandstand and, and, and the, the seating area was all put together. And again, it was, it was just really literally dug out of an old coal flag heap, um, behind, uh, the Nanaimo, uh, NDSS, the Nanaimo district secondary school, um, field there. So, um, yeah, so, you know, again, the club, uh, there was a number of, uh, number of people who were instrumental in, in building that. Uh, I had an opportunity to, to, to know a little bit, to meet a gentleman named Bert Lansdell, who's who's, who's passed. But Bert was instrumental, I think, in, in getting the stadium built. There's a few others that I'm not as familiar with. Um, and many of them actually still um, come to the stadium. Uh, I believe they're called the Old Boys Club and they'll watch uh, you know, high school baseball, college baseball there. Um, from time to time and and, and they take care of some of the basic maintenance, et cetera. So it really was, you know, I mean, the community built the park, and I'm a minor baseball and and uh, the community helped support it over those 40 plus years. It was only in the last couple of years that uh, the city uh, purchased the land on which the park stands. It was right. actually pre- previously owned by the school district and, Back when the stadium was built, there was a, a lease uh, signed with the school district to uh, to have the have the stadium be in that location behind the high school and beside the uh, the track and field facility that's there as well. So, um, but you know, the city purchasing that asset uh, and that land, I guess it was three years ago now, was 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 a huge uh, step because. Ultimately any significant improvements and renovations that we're going to be making, um, you know, became possible once the city had the, the so-called deed to the park, uh, Richard Harding, who's the parks and recreation director that I've worked with closely here through minor baseball understood, uh, you know, the importance of the stadium and how valuable an asset it was. I mean, to rebuild that facility today would be many millions of dollars. Um, to do and so the the uh, you know the purchase by the city really assured the future the long-term viability of the stadium. Richard, by the way, uh, under uh, he, he's a great fan of, of sport in and his recreation director. He's obviously instrumental in making sure that uh, our facilities are, are some of the best around. Uh, Richard's a University of Oregon grad, so he's a duck. Nice. I'm a, I'm a Washington Husky fan, so he and I go at it.
4: Oh wow! That's Regularly.
0: Fun yeah so um, but <laughs> the real <you> know, rivalry <laughs> yeah and it's actually if, if you you know when you come to Nanaimo um, there's actually a sports corridor it's a bit of a vision uh, it's almost like a campus where uh, the stadium sits where some of our other youth baseball facilities are there's a turf field used by football soccer uh, track and field and then uh, a twin uh, twin ice arena just across so uh, on wow. top of a High quality uh, aquatic center. So, literally within, uh, I don't know, I would say within 500 yards of each other, you have all these great facilities. So, uh, it really is kind of a campus feel. So,
4: oh, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. Something stuck with me when we talked before that you said the Soroxmen were a, a group that didn't want to wear fuzzy hats or have secret handshakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But but we're interested in in raising up the community, and usually that's with you know monetary um, you know contributions and that kind of thing. And the focus was on baseball.
3: Yeah.
4: So you you know you've t- you've told us some of this history, which I mean I'm sure that there's so so much more that we could get into. But I want to talk uh, or or switch over to the West Coast League, and just get your take on um, wh- how you feel, but also. What you're hearing in the community, and uh, what what the excitement is, uh, if there's any concerns, with the you know what how you how you would like the relationship to to progress. Because I just think more and more people going to Nanaimo and seeing a West Coast League game. I I, I think it's a good thing because I would love to go and see it myself. Um, but just to just to get your take on on how that how you think that's going to um, to go.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, you know, Canada, you know, the number one sport in Canada has been hockey. Um, On the West Coast here, you know, we're able to play a lot of traditional summer sports up here in Canada right through the the winter. So soccer here is not a summer sport. It goes from September to April, um, which is different than the majority of the country, right? I mean, east of the Rockies, they're still digging out of the, the snow and here we're we're well into our golf season and, and what would be a baseball season if obviously we were dealing with the current uh, covid crisis so um you know i mean it, it, it's i've had this you know vision i guess as president of Iowa minor of baseball this opportunity this cradle grave opportunity for a sport right i mean we're taking 5 year olds and 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 uh you know patiently and sometimes painfully <laughs> Uh, helping them fall in love with the game so they can play the game uh, through their, you know, their, their, their minor career up until they're 18. We have a good high school baseball program here. The non animal pirates that are part of the BC premier baseball league. Um, so into high school. And then we have the VIU Mariners, which are part of the Canadian collegiate baseball conference um, up here. So if, 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 young baseball players want to consider to play the game after, uh, high school, they're able to do that here locally, or in some cases, they're going south of the border. Um, you know, to to go play. Uh, uh, one of uh, the young men that's good friends with my son, we're great friends with their family. Uh, Josh Lokenen uh, played. Uh, is play, you know, was playing in uh, in Kansas um, at Cloud County, and, and just signed a letter of intent to go play at New Mexico State. So. And, and Josh would be the, the perfect example of that cradle to grave. I mean, he was, you know, played through his youth uh, years here with the minor Baseball and, and then in the BC Premier League and then junior college in, in, in uh, at Cloud County and now New Mexico. And, and Josh uh, played on the Harbor Cats last year and is slated to play this year again. And hopefully in 2021, he'll be, uh, you know, uh, Thrown out the opening pitch for that season for the new Nanaimo franchise. And then we have a, a 16 men's baseball league that's uh, that runs here in the community as well. So, uh, you know, for, for uh, players who've kind of aged out of their competitive opportunities, they can play uh, in a, you know, in a, in a recreational league. Um, we're just having lights actually, as we speak, um, Lights are being installed at the stadium, so the opportunity to expand uh, um, and so the Harbor Cats are just a natural extension of that, right? I think they're going to grow the interest in the game at the youth level. They're going to provide kind of uh, the 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 casual baseball fan with a you know a fantastic kind of viewing experience. And and quite honestly, um, you know we have a strong rivalry with the the Lower Mainland and in all in all sports, but. Um, you know, some of the minor sports organizations that, that I deal with um, through uh, NNBA um, are going to look at us with a great deal of envy. I mean, they always were envious of our park, it's Roxton Stadium, but now to have a collegiate summer league that really kind of glues together the rest of our programs is going to be pretty cool. So, I mean, to me, um, you know, uh, for the first couple seasons, it'll be the hottest tick in town. Um, and if we can provide some good local content and put a competitive program on the field, if that, that franchise can do that, then it won't be a matter of, you know, um, are the seats full? It's We need to put some more seats in there to accommodate it. Right. So. Sure. Um, super excited.
4: Do you think there'll be a, not obviously I think a natural rivalry, but do you think that the Harbor cats coming into town will just be, just be packed?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. We've had oh. uh, We've had, um, yeah, I mean, it, again, there's not. We're, we're blessed with, you know, uh, I mean, you can you can hike, you can fish, you can uh, golf, you can do a lot of great things out here in the summer. where, you know, you're literally a 15 minute drive from 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 a lot of these things. Um, but we kind of miss that 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 venue, that that opportunity to get together. Um, I used to say the local junior hockey team has has been in the for three or four decades. And, you know, on a, on a Friday or Wednesday or Sunday, you can go to the rink and, and and you can run into, you know, dozens of people that, you know, all enjoying the game of hockey. I think the baseball experience with the new West Coast league will be very similar. Um, and there's, you know, there's nothing more magical than the night baseball. I mean, right. nothing, nothing compares to it. I mean, uh, and so um and, you know, like Victoria and Victoria, I think to me, uh, Victoria has been an incredibly successful franchise because of the hard work that Jim and his team have put in. Um, but they also have the benefit, I think, of a of strong corporate backing. I think here in Nanaimo, we've got a lot of business, small businesses, I think, that'll want to get behind the team. But I think very much it'll be about, you know, the season ticket holders and, and the spectators. I think that'll mm-hmm. be the strength of this team. Um, and... Um, So, uh, yeah, and again, I think uh, the opportunity, and we see it in hockey here, there's nothing more exciting than seeing, uh, you know, a player uh, in your league uh, go on to be successful professionally and knowing that you saw them as a a young player, you know, I guess in this case it would be 19, 20, 21 years old. Uh, One day to see one of those players uh, playing in a big league uh, uniform would be pretty cool, right? So,
4: Oh, it'd be um, so nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, you know, and, 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 um, so the roots are here, right? There's a long history of baseball. A lot of people I just say don't know, but, um, I think this will probably shine a light on the, the community and the baseball scene here, uh, yeah. from the outside, from the outside in. So,
4: Oh, I don't think there's any doubt obviously you know you work with the pirates and hopefully they'll have a little they'll get a little bit of love too and it'll just make all the baseball in that area that much better so i think that's really what i wanted to cover i do want to ask though do you know that has has they settled on a name or or is this something that's been kind of you know bandied about of getting a name for the team
0: yeah i mean i know there's a contest um part of me thinks that there's probably a name somewhere out there um, that they'd like to see. But, um, you know, I mean, again, some of the, some of the naturals are probably already uh, taken by some of the local sports org- organizations. So. Well, give we me a, them. give me a
4: small list, like give me three or four.
0: <laughs> well, I mean. Well, oh, I joking.
4: liked your adult league name, by the way. What was that? Yeah, what was the, coal? The,
0: the The coal miners. The um, coal miners. The coal, yeah, I mean, Nanaimo. I mean, if you, if you if you look it up in the history books, there were three or four significant uh, coal mines in the town in the early 1900s. That uh, that was the chief the chief economic driver here, right? So it's a natural. And again, I mean, literally, our well, many of our facilities either have mine shafts underneath them or are built on old coal slag. Um, you know, I jokingly suggested the Nanaimo Angels um, at the risk of sounding a little controversial. Nanaimo had or has one of the oldest, uh, Hells Angels chapters in North America. So, Oh, wow. I thought that that was funny, but, um, I don't know that that would catch on. Uh, we
4: can get the Rolling Stones to play, uh, <laughs> Sir Oxman Stadium. And, uh, some yeah, controversy. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs>
3: so, uh,
0: I don't know if the Nanaimo Angels, uh, if, if people would get that joke, but, um, the, uh, yeah, I mean to say, the our, our organization and the Napa Minor Baseball our summer teams. When it comes to All Star Summer Baseball, um, and then the the local uh, BC PBL team, high school team, their name is the Pirates. So obviously, that nautical theme, being close to the water, is kind of uh, there. But I don't know that uh, you know. I think the West Coast League team will obviously be looking for its own identity. Um, um. I'm kind of a traditionalist. You know, I'd like a traditional name with a with a local wrinkle attached to it, but we'll yeah. see. I certainly don't, you know, uh, at the risk of offending soccer fans, you know, you don't want that indoor soccer like or 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 uh, you know that goofy name that just yeah. breaks no. with the tradition of, of of the you know, and I think you know like harbor cats is a good example, I think, of a of a name in Victoria um that uh that kind of blended, you know, a traditional name, the cats. With you know Victoria's uh, you know primary um, you know primary I guess, feature, which is that, that beautiful harbor that they have there. So I'm sure Jim, uh, he, he, I'm sure Jim will come up with something creative if the community doesn't. But uh, from what I understand, the other one's Nanaimo bars. Nanaimo's known for its you know uh, delicious uh, dessert treat. I don't know if you've ever had an Nanaimo bar. Travis, but uh, I don't think so. Yeah, but uh, so I'm intrigued. Yeah, you should, you should Google that. Um, oh, I will. The Nanaimo bars. Uh, again, I don't think that'll stick, but uh, I'm sure it'll become some sort of nickname. I'm sure we'll have it in the concession, right? So.
4: Well, I'm going to go Google Nanaimo bar <laughs> and I really appreciate you taking so much time to talk and, and the time before and uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Um, and I just want to let you know that we will definitely be following up, uh, soon and talking more, uh, and just, you know, just counting the, the weeks and months to come until we can finally see some baseball, uh, some West Coast League baseball in Nanaimo.
0: For sure. Well, appreciate it. And I can't wait till, uh, that first pitch is thrown out for the season next year.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And I hope it is Josh. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Already, sir. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: That was some good stuff, Travis. And, Mike, up next we have Travis interviewing Mr. Ian Thorpe, our final
4: guest on this inning of Cole Ball. I'm your host, Travis. Today I have Ian Thorpe. Hello, Ian. Hello, Travis. Thank you for doing this. Uh, So before we get started, please let us know – well, we already said your name, Ian Thorpe. Uh, Obviously, you're not that Ian Thorpe. The swimmer? The swimmer. Uh, Let's get that out of the way. I'm sure you get that often. I used to,
3: yeah.
4: uh, I bet. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and and your connection to Nanaimo.
5: Sure, Travis. Thanks. It's a, it's a pleasure to uh, to do this with you, uh, and I've really enjoyed uh, digging back and doing some research and refreshing some of my memories about uh, Sir Roxman and, and baseball here in town. I'm third-generation Nanaimo. I've been involved with local sports uh, in Nanaimo all my life, uh, coaching, officiating, uh, league administrator, and so on. Uh, I've worked uh, as a weekend sports announcer on local radio uh, for many years, and I've also written a local sports column for actually 40 years in the uh, Nanaimo News bulletin. So my connection to local sports is pretty strong. Uh, My career was in education as well as in radio Uh, for a time after I retired uh, several years ago. I was uh, chair of the Nanaimo Parks and Recreation Commission. Uh, I was elected to Nanaimo City Council in 2014, so I'm in my second term there. And I'm also currently chair of the Regional District of Nanaimo. So long history of involvement in Nanaimo and especially in the sports community.
4: That's incredibly impressive. And also, um, I would steal your voice in a heartbeat. Uh, (laughs) You were an an incredible voice. And I hope that uh, everybody can appreciate that. I know they can. Uh, that's very kind of you. I, I really
5: enjoyed my time in radio. It was fun.
4: I bet. I bet. I would love to do that someday. Um, we're, we're here for a couple subjects, but the main subject is about Ciroxin Stadium. Mm-hmm. So if you could just give us a little bit of information about um, your position as it relates to uh, pre-construction, during the construction, post-construction, and also your feelings on the stadium and any other tidbits you might, you might be able to give us about, uh, let's, let's put it this way. If somebody who's never been to Sir Oxman stadium also, uh, how, what you feel about the stadium itself.
5: Sure. I have uh, looked back in my notes on the history of the stadium and I can, I can fill you in a little bit on that. Uh, my involvement goes back to roughly 1970 when I was, uh, uh in my early twenties. And um, I was uh, coaching minor baseball, Babe Ruth baseball, with my cousin, Bob Gold, here in town. Um, So that was the start of my involvement in minor baseball. At the time, my uncle, Jim Gold, was the president of minor ball. And back at that time, uh, the only 90-foot baseball diamond in Nanaimo was down at Robbins Park, which I'm sure many of your listeners uh, are familiar with. Uh, it's, uh, it's not the greatest location, and it uh, was uh, prone to flooding whenever we had some rains. And I think a very, uh, very um, intelligent group of people at the time recognized that Nanaimo was growing quickly. We needed another 90-foot diamond. Um, it was also around the time, 1975, that Nanaimo amalgamated, and we brought in areas uh, that were outlying like Chase River and Departure Bay, So our city grew in population from about 25,000 to 50,000 within 10 years. So again, there was demands on our playing fields. And um, Minor Ball in 1970 uh, asked uh, three people to uh, be a task force to look for a location for a new ballpark. And those three, three people were a man named Bob Baldwin, a man named Bruno Clavora, and Burt Lansdell. And those are three really important names in the history of Sir Oxman Stadium. Um, They they scouted around the town. They found what they thought was a good location at the corner of Northfield and Dorman Road. And um, that uh, actually was surveyed for a ballpark. They went to the Parks and Recreation Department at the time and uh, the city said, no, I'm sorry, we've got other plans for that property. And Northfield and Dorman is, is, of course, now part of Bevan Park Complex. So, um, with that site off the table, they, they looked around some more and they found the site uh, uh, at Waikasaya, um, where the stadium is now. It was land that was owned by the Department of National Defense. Uh, but it uh, adjoined, uh, if, if you can picture just the back of NDSS playing field, and they talked to the school board. Don't ask me how they they did this arrangement but anyway the school board said if you can get the land donated from the national defense department to the school board the school board would in turn lease it to minor baseball for a dollar a year. Now wow. I can't imagine I can't imagine something like that getting put together today but that's exactly what happened uh, it was in uh, I think 1971 And it was my uncle, Jim Gold, who went to Victoria. I actually still remember the day he drove down with his wife. They went to Naden headquarters and they brokered a deal with DND to transfer the title of that uh, site of land to the Nanaimo School District. And the school board was extremely helpful, apparently, and very cooperative. And they, in turn, leased it over to Ball for a dollar a year for 25 years and then subsequently renewed that lease. So that was the very beginning of Saroxman Stadium, and uh, and then plans proceeded with clearing the ground, moving aside the the coal slag, uh, and putting in the field and building the actual stadium.
4: That's just incredible. Um, so, let me ask you about um, so more about your involvement in uh-huh. in all of this. So as it's being built. What what was your involvement
5: in in that process? Were you involved at all? My my involvement was uh, minimal. Uh, I was a very unskilled laborer, and that was my job. Uh, the The park was built largely on volunteer labor, and it was members of the community, members of the baseball community, members of the siroxman Club, which I'm I'm sure you'll want to talk about more in a minute. Yeah. Uh, so. I, um, I helped pour concrete uh, foundation slab for the fence. I helped nail up the plywood fencing when they, when they built the fence around the stadium and so on. Uh, but that was just my uh, grunt work to, to help in a small way.
4: Wow, so how, how long was the process from start to finish? Let's say when, we, when they finally made that incredible deal, which I might, that might be in another podcast all to <laughs> itself. So I don't want to go down that road. But start to finish, how long was the process?
5: Sure, so that, as I said, was, was 1971. Um, 1972, they began surveying the site. And I mentioned uh, the name Bob Baldwin. Uh, he was uh, he worked for the surveying company of Willis, Cunliffe and & Tate. And so he was a land surveyor. He passed away just within the past year, unfortunately. Great guy. Uh, so he uh, uh, surveyed the site. Um, That's when the the actual sort of construction started. Uh, Prior to Vancouver Island University, we had Malaspina College. And at that time they had a heavy duty equipment course that they were offering. And the fellow who ran that was uh, named Tom Forrester. And he said, hey, uh, we'll get our guys down here and train them on their heavy equipment to clear the, the coal slag and level the playing field for you uh, gratis. That's, that's work experience for us. So they did that in 73, 72, 73. Drainage ditches were put in and so on. Um, and that's, uh, I think, when the, the Soroxman Club uh, kicked in and really got the, the project going. Okay. Um
4: let me ask you about the the naming of the stadium then. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I think that will kind of get into the whole Soroxman Club part of this, but um what describe the process for naming the stadium and, and if there were any other names that were being considered.
5: Yeah, there you know, um to my knowledge, there were not. Uh it was named Soroxman Stadium because of the very heavy a contribution of the Soroxman uh, club, both in terms of volunteer labor and financial support. Uh, they raised a lot of money for the stadium. And uh, Soroxman, it's an unusual name. Um, it was a group of fellows, uh, local guys who were sitting around Uh, And decided that they maybe weren't old enough, they felt, to join one of the established service clubs in town, like the Lions or Rotary or what have you. But they wanted to do something for their community. And so they said, we're going to form our own club. And Sir is actually short for uh, Service Auxiliary Men. It might be Latin as well, I'm not sure. But Sir was shortened from Service Auxiliary Men. Uh, they were formed in 67, and they wanted a big project that they could get behind and support. Uh, their president at the time was a fellow named Gord Robinson, who's still active in town. And uh, they raised money, donated money, and contributed time and volunteer effort to get the stadium going. Describe
4: to, to uh, the listener, um, when it was finished, how did that make you feel? And give us maybe uh, one of your your best memories from over the years.
5: Yeah, it was was just so amazing um, because, and at that time, Nanaimo was a smaller community and there was, there still is today, I think, but there always has been a real sense of community pride in our city and the sports community in particular. And to see that stadium get built uh, almost entirely by volunteers Uh, materials contributed or given at heavy discounts it was a real community project and when that opened it was a very very special uh, weekend and uh, we can talk more about uh, Mickey Mantle and the celebrities that showed up for the official opening but that was in 1965 I believe Um, yes and uh, sorry and uh, boy it's bringing back some memories I guess one of my favorite memories, I'll jump ahead to 1980. The the ballpark had been open for three or four years and Nanaimo hosted a Pacific Northwest Babe Ruth baseball tournament. And again, uh, my uncle Jim Gold, he was the tournament director I recalled. This was the first time a Pacific Northwest tournament had ever been held outside of the United States. So it was a really big deal that we were given the right to host this tournament. And I still remember being, I was umpiring in the tournament and I remember being out on the field, American teams of players and coaches ran out uh, from the dugout onto the field and they stopped. And literally their jaws just dropped as they looked around. And I heard one of them say, is this artificial turf? It looked so perfect. It was just a magnificent uh, setting. And these American ball players, young fellows, were so impressed. And we put on a first-class uh, show. And uh, Sir Oxman has been well regarded ever since as one of the best ballparks in the province.
4: Incredible! Uh, thank you for umpiring. By the way, I'm sure that I'm sure that <laughs> was it. I'm sure that was a nerve-wracking experience. Being <laughs> the the, uh, the first the first time a tournament's been held outside of the United States. That's incredible. Um how do you feel about the stadium's location?
5: Well, the stadium's location I think over the years its it's proved to be a good location at the time, maybe as I say it wasn't the first choice um, and and I know that originally there was there was a plan that it would be orientated differently on the site that uh home plate would actually be where the outfield is it would be, would have been reversed and there were some problems with that and um and also, uh, it is adjoining the, the school soccer field. So for whatever reason, they adjusted it to the way it is now. Uh, and the way our city has grown, you know, the ballpark is right in the area of what we call the Larry McNabb Sports Zone. And you've got, uh, you've got the high school field there, beautiful uh, artificial turf field. It's right across the road from the aquatic center and the, uh, and the other facilities that our city has there. So it's really part of a sports hub. And I think it's worked out really well.
4: Incredible. OK, so um, let me ask you a little bit about the West Coast Leagues coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you first hear about that? Um, and and uh, well, I'll get to a, a question about the stadium improvements in a minute. But what was your uh, first reaction when you heard about the, the West Coast League?
5: Well, it had been rumored for several years Uh, when I was on the Parks and Recreation Commission. uh, There was some initial talk about that. There was recognition that Nanaimo has grown enough that we could probably support such a team, Uh, but the stadium would need to be upgraded and, of course, it would need lights. And so uh, that that was sort of the catch. Uh, but, um, thanks to our city staff, I think they've, they've worked hard to make it happen. And city council has agreed that, uh, uh, lighting Siracusa is important. And so that's made possible. The fact that the West, uh, Western league has now announced as, as you've just indicated that yes, they want a franchise here starting next year. So extremely exciting. It's really the taking baseball in the NIMO to the next step.
4: When you go to the stadium, where what is the uh, this, describe your favorite location for actually sitting in the stands and watching the game.
5: Well, when the stadium was first built, and it, and it was a very bare, and it still is, it's a bare bones stadium, it's concrete and, and wood, it's nothing really fancy. Um, the seats that are now down the uh, first baseline were not there in the original construction. There was the section right behind home plate and immediately uh, to the third baseline. Uh, so, I always enjoyed behind home behind home plate being an umpire. I like to have that view behind the catcher. And uh, I did some announcing of games at the stadium, so I always like to be up high in the booth. Um, nowadays, with the seating down first baseline, I think that's a great sight as well.
4: I think I'd like to sit there as well. Um, to, so, so with that being said there's going to be new improvements in, in the mm-hmm. new stadium. What interests you most about what, what improvements are going to be made
5: and having a new stadium? Well, you know, the stadium has been looked after for many years, uh, partly by volunteers. Uh, the school board, because they did own the land had sort of control over the stadium. Uh, until just several years ago when there was a deal made with the city of Nanaimo to take over that land and to take over uh, the, the ballpark uh, in a joint use agreement with minor baseball. And I think that was a really good step forward because quite frankly, the school district just doesn't have the, the, uh, the time or the finances to be looking after a, a recreational facility. The city through our Parks and Recreation Department does. It's a natural fit. So I'm very excited that there are going to be improvements and have been improvements made, uh, and especially the lighting. Uh, That was always considered, even from day one. And one of the challenges uh, was the fact that, as we've mentioned, the the site of the ballpark is on top of uh, former coal mines. And if you drill down, uh, you can go a long ways down before you hit water. Uh, And some of that water was used for irrigation uh, for the ballpark. But it was also a challenge for putting in posts for lighting. Nowadays, there's technology they can overcome that, apparently. uh, But it's taken this long to be able to finance it and figure out a way to do it. So it's very exciting.
4: That's incredibly exciting. I can't wait to see it myself. So a couple more questions. What was the community's reaction? I imagine in your position, you hear a lot of chatter. Um so can you give me a few different reactions that you received good and bad
5: when the stadium was first opened or, or No regarding, and regarding
4: the, I'm sorry regarding the West Coast League coming into town what was uh what was the community's reaction
5: Oh certainly any reaction I've had has been extremely positive because uh the Harbor Cats in Victoria are well known and what a great rivalry that could be if it develops and I'm sure it will So uh Siroxman Stadium for those involved in baseball, uh, is, is, a, is a beautiful facility. There's a lot of people in our town that probably don't know really where it is or what it's like, and this is going to bring them to see the facility. And I think they're just going to be blown away because it is absolutely beautiful. So I'm very much looking forward to next season, and, and hopefully the, the whole COVID uh, problem isn't going to delay the start of that league startup. Um, and uh, hopefully Jim Swanson is still eager to get going here.
4: Oh, I'm sure he is. I I, mm-hmm. I know he is for sure. Okay, well, um, I'm, that that pretty much wraps it up. But before I go, um, I just want I, I've been asking people at the end just to give me a little bit more about what Saroxen Stadium means to them personally. Um, uh, I know that um, well, one of the questions. I have that kind of leads into that is if you could do it all over again, would you do anything differently? And, and, and again, just, just maybe give us kind of a, as an ending um, what
5: the stadium means to you. Well, thanks Travis. Um, and I could probably go on for quite a while because uh, it goes for me, it goes to the sense of community that we've always had here in Nanaimo and the fact that it was built by volunteers. And in fact uh, there was no, Nanaimo taxpayer money needed to build the stadium. It was all donated goods and materials, donated labor, um, and and the response from the community to build it was just incredible. So I've always been very, very proud of that, proud of my association with Minor Ball over the course of a couple of decades. Um, and I guess another favorite memory of mine that uh, we don't really have time to talk about was the official opening, and that was. Um, Uh, We do have time. If you want to take time, go for (laughs) it. I've got to mention it. Okay. Um, uh, It was uh, the Soroxman club to raise money held a sportsman's dinner. And that was uh, July 31st of 1976. And they had the first of several sportsman's dinner uh, here in town. And uh, the star attraction was Mickey Mantle. And he was here uh, with his good buddy, Jimmy Pearsall from the Red Sox. They also had Johnny Busick from the uh, Bruins at that time, Cliff Ogleson from the Canucks, George Reed, the Saskatchewan CFL player, and Lloyd Gilmore, the uh, former NHL referee who lived in Nanaimo and operated a restaurant here for many years. So they were the headliners. It was a wonderful evening, uh, great stories told and so on. And then the next day, uh, Mickey Mantle and Jimmy Pearsall were up at the ballpark and they officially opened the park Uh, tried to hit a home run out of the park. uh, And I have to tell you that, uh, no, they didn't quite do it. They bounced several off the warning track, but they they didn't actually hit one out. But Mickey Mantle uh, officially opened the stadium, and that was very exciting. And I might add, gave me a chance to get an autographed baseball.
3: Oh,
4: that's incredible. I mean, (laughs) uh, you know, what a legend. I I heard that he might have had a few pops before he went to go to the bat. uh, Yeah.
5: I think the, you know uh, the, the, the legend.
4: Men, the legend is pretty uh, is 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 not unusual.
5: I think they I think they had a really good time while they were here in town, and the Siroxmen were were very generous in treating them and taking them out fishing and making sure that they enjoyed themselves. So I think you might be onto something there.
4: <laughs> Can you tell us? Uh, you know, give us a little story or something that you've thought about of uh, Saroxman Stadium that uh, jogs your memory when when the stadium comes to mind.
5: Well, there's so many great memories with Saroxman Stadium, Travis, and, and I think the, the overall memory for me is the contributions of the community and all the volunteers that spent so many hours making that stadium happen uh, by fundraising through the Saroxman Club and minor baseball volunteers and also the volunteer labor that uh, created most of the stadium, planted the field and so on. One example that I have thought of is uh, the, the uh, outfield fencing, which actually consists, if I remember correctly, of 300 sheets of three quarter inch treated plywood. And uh, George Wilgris was involved in minor baseball at the time. He worked as a painter out at the Harmac Mill. He donated his time to paint that entire fence for minor ball uh, the paint was largely donated and uh, I remember George being absolutely covered in green paint because of the wind braying uh, blowing rather as he spray-painted the, the fence so that's just an example of the volunteer effort that went into the stadium
4: any other personal memories
5: <laughs> well just uh, you know there's so many so many tournaments that uh, were held there uh, umpiring games uh announcing games coaching games uh but every time i walked into that stadium i was just so impressed with how beautiful it looked and how professional it appeared and it was just a treat to be able to to be in that stadium
4: excellent so you wrote an article um rec- well not recently but you wrote an article about bob gold why yes. did you write can you why did you write that article and, and tell us a little bit about uh, what he meant to you?
5: Well, I, I'd be happy to. Uh, it was my privilege and good fortune to, uh, to know Bob Gold very well, and he was actually my first cousin. Uh, I wrote the article uh, just shortly after his death back in 2014. Uh, the years uh, doesn't seem that long ago, but um, he and I were great friends. And he got me involved in coaching minor baseball back in the uh, early 1970s. I worked with him on the executive of minor ball for many years. And I saw firsthand what he contributed to our community, his involvement in coaching baseball, in organizing baseball. He was president of minor ball for many years. He was uh, one of the top umpires in town. He was also an excellent athlete in other sports. He was captain of the original Nanaimo Buccaneers hockey team way back when. He was involved in the um, local swim club on the executive there. And he had done so much for youth sports in our community that after he passed uh, and, and combined with my personal uh, feelings for him and respect for him, I thought it would be appropriate to do a, a column in the local paper just acknowledging his contributions and pointing out uh, what he had done with the eventual aim i hope of seeing bob elected to the nanaimo sports hall of fame
4: he's a guy that he does it all right i mean
5: he sounds exhausting a swimmer a well, in everything yeah an iron man he, he was an excellent he was an excellent athlete and and you know he had a one of those outgoing personalities that just uh, he could he could convince people to come along with him if he had an idea for a project it would go ahead and he really revived minor baseball here in town uh, he was referee in chief of minor hockey for a for a number of years he was involved in so many things and just a great guy uh, a, a huge personality and uh, when we lost him it, it was a huge loss to our sporting community
4: incredible it was always somebody that you wish you had met and uh, gone too soon.
5: Yes, and I guess the other connection uh, regarding Sir Oxman Stadium is that it was Bob's father, my uncle Jim Gold, who, uh, as you'll recall, was the person who did the negotiating uh, to get the land for the stadium away from the DMD and get it transferred to the school board. So between my uncle Jim and my cousin Bob, they, they were a huge sporting family here in town, very well known. Very well respected, and I can't say enough good things about them.
4: And t- uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, st- stadium improvements over the last 30 years 20 to 30 sure. years.
5: Sure. Yeah, it, it's hard to believe that it, it's been so long since the stadium was built, and it stood up pretty well. Uh, but there have been improvements made over the years, Travis, and I think I mentioned one of them, and those were the bleachers that were added down the uh, first baseline. That was in 1981. Uh, we also are they also improved uh, the change rooms and equipment rooms underneath. And that was at a cost of about $60,000, which was raised by minor baseball at the time. Um, the school board renewed their lease in 87. Uh, in 1990, I can tell you, the fence was replaced and uh, there was donated machinery involved with that for uh, from BC Hydro and BC Tell. Um, 2018, fairly recently, was a very important date uh, in the history of the stadium because it was starting to show its age. And a new group was formed called the Seroxman Stadium Amateur Baseball Association. And this was a nonprofit group of uh, people who were interested in uh, maintaining the stadium, seeing it uh, improve. Uh, Don Hubbard was one of those, and Dr. Lauren Goodall. And they're still heavily involved in uh, raising money and initiating improvements to the stadium. So last year, in fact, last summer, they held something called Baseball Week in Nanaimo that uh, your listeners might recall. They had Roberto Alomar here in town up at the stadium. They had some of the original Soroxman members there and they honored them out on the field. And they also had Bob Baldwin, who I mentioned, and he was there and they were able to honor him. So it was a really neat week of baseball in Nanaimo uh, to benefit the stadium. And, and along uh, with that uh, was the fact that the stadium was taken over by the city, uh, which promised uh, further improvements. So it's been it's been a revival of the stadium, I think. And now the announcement of the professional league coming uh, is just icing on the cake.
1: Thank you, Ian, for taking the time to spend with us in this inning of Coalball. I also want to thank our other guest on this inning. Mr. Bill Cliff for providing some wonderful background information on the Sir Roxman Club and Sir Roxman Stadium and then I'd like to thank Mr. Mike Holick for also providing some awesome information and lastly thank you Travis so much for stepping in and helping me out in COBOL and doing these interviews so that'll do it for this inning of COBOL. stay tuned we'll be back with more fine innings of COBOL.